Alright, let's turn our Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 52. I want to read these three verses for us real quick. And uh, we're continuing our series, our Advent series of the Good Giver. Uh, and so we're, uh, we're going to see this morning of how the Lord has been so gracious to us uh, as He has given us so much, as He has given the nation of Israel so much as well. And so we'll be able to see that this morning. Isaiah chapter 52, look at verses 7 through 9 this morning. And uh, let's do that real quick. Verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. And we praise you, Lord God. We thank you so much for your promises, Lord God. We thank you so much for your plan for our lives what you have done for us, Lord God. I pray as we look through your word this morning that it that you would give me clear speech and that there would be clarity, Lord God, through your scripture, Lord God, through me reading and explaining these verses this morning, that we would be able to hear from you this morning, Lord God, we'd be able to apply these, these things and these scriptures to our lives. Again, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we're going to look at this this morning, I know that it has been uh, even a busy time. 2020 has definitely taken its toll on most of us uh, this year. And, uh, you know, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but very serious as well. I know it's been a uh, just a trying year. Many of us, many of you have gone through so much. And, and then now with the Christmas season, we get into a busy time. And as we have wanted to just step away from the book in our study that we were talking about, uh, over the last several weeks uh, through the book of Galatians, we wanted to make sure that we stop, just like we do every year, and look at this Advent time. Advent, Advent is a time of, of just talking about this anticipation of this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ here on the earth. And so we wanted to make sure we stopped and did that. We wanted to make sure that we're not just going around, not only just continuing through and passing through this time, but also even us as families. That we make sure that we stop and realize the importance of this season, of what this season truly means to us, uh, not only as families and as individuals, but also as a church. And so I hope that we stop. Uh, Lisa and I went yesterday and did a lot of Christmas shopping. And, uh, and you need a day of today to just rest and, and celebrate the Lord after shopping, right? I don't know if any of you have experienced a, a, a good bit of Christmas shopping. Uh, hopefully you're done. That's my prayer for you. Uh, I want to see some smiling faces this morning, right? Even through the, even through the people watching. That's the, anyway, just some smiling faces. I need it this morning, and so, uh, so I hope that uh, we get to just celebrate the Lord and all the things that He has done for us by, you know, sending His Son Jesus Christ on this earth was such an important thing. It was some, it's something that uh, had to happen, needed to happen. God's plan was for it to happen, and the whole purpose was before you and me. To come, to die on the cross uh, for you and me. And so it all started here in this manger uh, time. And so uh, Brother Jake kind of set out some things for us uh, to look at, him and I, 
as far as looking at the, uh, in this Advent time of going through some of these Old Testament scriptures. And uh, this one is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is just a, a great prophet of old, of how he, were, he was uh, prophesying about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was really giving a lot of information to the nation of Israel and what's got, what was the plan that God had for them. And all the things, he was reminding them too of all the things that God had already done uh, for the nation of Israel. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I want to give us two things. We're going to look at what God gave. The things that God had given to the nation of Israel. And then also, what are the promises that uh, for him to give? Talking about even to us today. And so uh, I want to look through those things this morning. And we're going to, uh, and just kind of laying it out there for you this morning. We're going to look at all the things that God had given to the nation of Israel. It's impossible for us this morning to look at everything. But we're looking at some highlights and some key things that God had given to the nation of Israel that he promised to them. And that they, they had seen come to pass. And then this time of prophecy that Isaiah is talking about will stop and pause back there again. And then we'll see of all the promises that kind of God has given to us uh, today. And so for us, I think that as we leave this morning, that we could be encouraged, we could be uh, lifted up to know that God has not forsaken the nation of Israel. Just like he's not going to forsake us today. And so as we look, and if you want to turn with me or if you want to... Uh, just write these down and go back later. But God had given some promises to Abraham back in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, God had made it very clear to Abraham that I'm going to uh, give you all of these promises. And I want to read these for us real quick. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God says, And he said to Abraham, said to Abram, Get out of your country, uh, from your family, and from your father's house. And then he starts telling them some things that he's going to give them. He said, to a land that I will show you. So he's going to give them some land. He says that I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. He says, and you shall be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I, I love those things. That God uh, makes it very clear to Abraham that he's going to give him. He's going to give him land. He's going to give him this possession. We know that is the land of Canaan. We know that that is the uh, land of Canaan that later on became the nation of Israel. Uh, so God had given him the land. God uh, uh, told him about the land. And he starts making his way there towards the land. He tells him he's going to make him a great nation. It was going to come through his bloodline that he was going to have this great nation. Abraham, we understand at this particular time, had no children. His wife, Sarah, could not bear children. And so these were great promises that God had given to Abraham that were that he really could not see. He could not foresee, but he trusted and believed God. He said that God was also going to bless him. He was going to bless him. He was going to give him so many blessings. Also, he said, your name, Abraham, was going to be great among the nations, among the world and forever. It was going to be great. I love this last thing that he had told him. He says, um, you're also going to be a blessing. Now, it's one thing you understand when we receive blessings, when God says, I'm going to bless you. But you, we understand and we see that it's also, I think, even extra special, even better when we are able to be a blessing. And that was God's promise to Abraham as well, is that you are going to be, not only you're going to have this land, not only your name is going to be great, not only you're going to be a great nation, and not only I'm going to pour out my blessings on you, but you're also going to be a blessing to other people. And so he tells us all this. He shows us these things. 
And then also in Genesis chapter uh, 22, verse 18, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, he tells them, he says, And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So not only your nation, Abraham, is going to be great, but then other nations are going to be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so, like I said, so not only was he blessed, but he would, because of his obedience, other people and other nations would be blessed. And that's, and that's God promising and foretelling of things that were going to happen as far as the Gentiles being able to be blessed as well. And so continuing on in, in the book of Exodus, we, on, we not only see there in the book of Genesis of how God had given him, uh, uh, that God promised him land, a nation, uh, uh, blessings, and then also to be a blessing, his name was going to be great. But I love in the book of Exodus, and I'm going to turn in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse, verse 7. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The nation of Israel had turned on hard times. You remember this through scripture of how now because of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph had got sold into, uh, sold into slavery, that he was there in Egypt. He was there in prison. And God had a plan for him. God raised him up even through all of those trials and tribulations. He was still faithful to God. So the nation of Israel now finds himself in Egypt because Joseph was now, because God had lifted him up as second in command to the king of Egypt, that the nation of Israel follows Joseph there. The nation of Israel follows uh, 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 Joseph to the nation of Egypt. And so they're there. And then we see that Joseph passes away. I don't want to get too much into that story. But Joseph passes away. The new, new king of Egypt is now on the scene. And now the new king of Egypt sees these Israelites, sees these, uh, these, uh, these, these people uh, as a threat to him. And so he puts them in slavery. He puts them in bondage. And years pass. Years pass. Now God's nation that he has, his promises that he had given to Abraham are now slaves in another country. And so God hears their cry, he hears their prayer, and we see this here in the book of Exodus as the people of God are in slavery and in bondage. And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, we see that uh, God is sitting there, uh, is talking to Moses, and he said, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And he says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And he says, and I know their sorrows. And so for us to see this morning that God also gave them, he gave them promises of this land, of the nation, to be blessed, of this great name, to be a blessing. But also we see here in Exodus 3, 7, that we see that God sees his people. The promises that God is going to see us where we are, to see us when the things that are happening around us and to us, and he sees it. He hears it, and then I love how it says there as well, is that he knew, he knows. Uh, he knows, he's experiencing with them uh, this pain and what they're going through. He has an intimate relationship with these people. So as they're suffering, he's suffering. He knows very well what they're going through. And so when they're crying out to God, and they look, and, and they're, they're, they're day in and day out, working hard, slaving, literally slaving for these people, and they're crying out to God. God is there with them. God hears their prayer. God 
not only hears it, but he begins to act upon it where he sends out Moses to go and to free his people so that they can begin their journey to those promises that God had given to them. And I love as the people are making their way out of out of bondage and out of slavery and God sends the plagues and they are delivered from Pharaoh and his people and the nation of Egypt and as they cross over the Red Sea I want us to turn in Exodus chapter 13 Exodus chapter 13 and and verse 17 Exodus 13 and verse 17 it talks about when they go the way of the wilderness and they go out there after they cross the Red Sea and they start to make their way to the promised land, the, this land that God had given them. And that's where God was going to make them a great nation. And all these things were really starting to take place. That then when they make their way, it says in verse 17, that it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, a lot of times we hear about the provision and God leading them to the promised land. And they actually go around the Philistines because at that particular time, God knew his people were not ready for war. He knew God is such a good God to the nation of Israel that when he led them through the Red Sea and if they were to go and experience war, he knew that they would be crushed. That not that they wouldn't see victory, but that they would be heartbroken to know that now this new nation, this new people... And they're not ready for battle. God knows what they needed. God knew exactly where, how they would react. And God protected them from those things. And in verse 18, so God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the, of the Red Sea. And what I see here as God is leading them around in this path. Yes, it's a little further. And yes, now it's going through wilderness and this desert land that they're fixing to go through. God knew that this nation had a lot to learn. There was a lot of things that they needed to go through in order for them to really be ready to walk in into their new land, to be prepared. And they had some things inside of them that needed to be prepared. Uh, and it says, and the children of Israel went up in early ranks out of the land of Egypt. Verse 19 in Exodus chapter 13. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you. Uh, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Verse 19, I'm going to leave it alone, even though I don't really want to. I would love to explain what that is uh, to you this morning, but we'll do that another time. I would encourage you to go and, and, and look at that, of, of how important that was that Joseph's bones was carried with him out of Egypt, going to the promised land. And so he continues on as they made their journey in verse 20. Verse 21 says, And the Lord went before them, the nation of Israel, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night and, and it says that he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people the people knew exactly where to go not only during the day but also at night because god had provided a light for them to seek exactly where to go. Can you imagine that as a people? Not, not only did God protect them from the danger that was before them in their infant stage as a nation. But God now says, this is how you're going to journey. This is how you're going to go. All you have to do by day, there will be a cloud by day for you to follow. And there will be a, a, a pillar of fire uh, in the sky at night for you to follow of where I am leading you. 
I mean, for us today, we would, we're going to get to this later, but we sure, it would probably make it a lot easier if we could just follow the yellow brick road just like they did in scripture. Just to go follow this place. God told Moses, I'm going to have this in the sky and all you have to do is follow after it and you'll know that you're on the right, on the right place. You're going the way that I'm asking you to go. You found yourself going a little bit to the right, going a little bit to the left. All you got to do is look up and see that you're off the path. And all you got to do is get back on. And so God had this for them. God gave them all of these promises that he would not leave them. He would give them safety as he did when they walked out of the, uh, the, the place of Egypt, uh, out of the Red Sea. And then God safely brought them around the Philistines. And then God gave them guidance and says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to lead you in this way. All you do is follow after me. Uh, I'm going to turn now in Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11 and verse 23. Everybody still with me this morning? Say, uh-huh. Say something. There we go. Joshua chapter 11. And I'm telling you, I think once we see all these things, we're going to see how God is with us and God is blessing us this morning. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, it says, And Joshua, the nation of Israel at the beginning of Joshua, had gone in and had captured the land. If you get, if you get time on your free, uh, free time or maybe your daily reading, go through the book of Joshua and see how God had really just handed them over, handed the nations over. These kingdoms that were in the land of Canaan, how God had just made a way for the nation of Israel to walk in there and God had fought their battles for them. Of how we understand about the, uh, the, uh, the nation of, uh, of Jericho, of how they walked around that city seven times and how the walls just began to fall down or how they walked places, how God had just prepared uh, them for, for battle and for victory. Uh, they were now a nation that was ready to take over their land. And so they went in, they captured those cities. They even had a game plan. You go in of how they went in and went out uh, through these uh, through these different uh, cities in the nation of, of the land of Canaan that became Israel, that they had a plan. God had a plan. Joshua was such a good leader that he led them directly, specifically in that plan. And so when we come to chapter 11, the south was, con uh, was conquered first and now the north has been conquered. And in verse 23 of chapter 11, it says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel. According to the, their divisions by their tribes, then the land rested from war. And so the land rested from war because God had given them that land. They were able to go in and conquer that land. And so now we begin to see that God did what he said. He, he came through on the promises that he had given Abraham years before. Hundreds of years before, God says, Abraham, you, I am going to give you this property. You understand that when Abraham was living there on the land of Canaan, it was borrowed land. It was his. God had given him the deed. But according to man, he had not owned that property yet. And so his nation, his, his descendants, his sons, his daughters, his tribe, not his tribe, but his nation, Israel, was going to be the ones to truly experience it for themselves. God's promise had come true, had come to pass as far as the land was his. The nation of Israel was there living on their own land. God had truly blessed them. Their name was great. Even when they were walking into those cities, you remember the story again about Jericho and Rahab. Uh, Rahab told the story in the beginning of Joshua 
of how they had heard of all the victories that God had already given the nation of Israel on the other side of the Jordan River. And word had traveled so much about this people because God was on their side. It was such a powerful name that they had that Rahab said, listen, even though my lifestyle and my background, the things that I have engaged in, she goes, I want to be on this God's side. I know the gods that we serve here in Jericho, we have these great walls and it looks great. She says, but I want to be on the side of the God of Israel. And so their name was great. They were being, they were, they were being blessed, truly. And so God had heard their cry, heard their prayer, and God brings them to their land because God will keep his promise. And I love and not only just continuing as a nation, but even as a kingdom of how they were such a great name. I want to look in the book of First Kings uh, chapter 2. And I'm turning there just, as, just, as, just like you are this morning. I don't have it marked in my Bible. First uh, Kings uh, chapter 2 uh, this morning. First Kings chapter 2 and I'm going to look at verse 10. David is sitting there and he, he is at his deathbed and he says in verse 10, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And it tells us that he reigned 40 years as the king of Israel. And when David uh, was there as king uh, for these 40 years over the nation of Israel total, they had great success. He's passing over the torch right here to his son Solomon as we read these, this scripture. And he was there buried in, his, in the holy city, the city of David. He's there in this place of Jerusalem as the, 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 uh, really the capital city of, of, uh, of Israel. And there David rests, the Bible says, because he has been a man of war. He has been a, a man of great victory in his life. He was able to, even today, even all these years later, Israel has never seen the great success as it, as it had when the time that, uh, that David had reigned on the throne. And so God had truly come through on his promises that they were a great nation, that they were a mighty nation. And so uh, even in the, the, book of, uh, of the book of Joshua again, too, I want us to point out Joshua 24, uh, verse 13. This uh, mic is slowing me up. Sorry. 24 in verse 13 uh, in the book of Joshua. It says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwelled in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. And so God had given him this this kingdom and God had given them all this land. And I just want to point out the reason I went back to this is because all these things that God had blessed them with, they really didn't deserve. They really didn't do anything to necessarily earn these things. God had, was so gracious in their blessings to them that God had given these, these things to them. And so as we look at this and as we see, even in the book of Isaiah chapter 56, uh, God says that, listen, I'm going to I'm going to give you all these things, the land, the nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great name. And then he also tells them in verse in chapter 56, verse seven and eight, that I have a plan not only for you, but I also have a plan for the other nations, for the Gentiles. In verse chapter 56, verse seven and eight says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. 
I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. There, there, it says, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him. Others besides those who are gathered to him. And so the Lord is telling us in these verses, not only is the nation of Israel going to be blessed, but because of Abraham and his faithfulness, because of God's plan for not only Abraham and his descendants, but also for the entire world. That also the Gentiles would be blessed with, because of the nation of Israel. They would be a blessing to other nations. And so that gives us a plan and a direction this morning in our lives because of us not being born of this family, born of Abraham's family. God has made it available not only to them, but also to the entire world. So as we look again here, when we come to this scripture, I've said all that to say, God had given the nation of Israel so much. He had promised so much and he came through on his promises. And so for us today, as we look at this and we get to the book of Isaiah again, we see that God is a good giver. The nation of Israel at this point in time had been under great distress. They had been put back into bondage after God had given them all those things. They had, because of their sin and their disobedience, God had judged them. God had given them uh, some punishment in their life. And uh, other nations had come and captured them and also had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. At this point in time in the book of Isaiah, the people now were able, were free to go back. Some were still there in this, in this other nation. And God is saying, it's time for you to go back to Jerusalem. It's time for you to go back to Israel. It's time for you to go back and not be in a place that God doesn't have this plan and this promises for you. At the beginning of chapter 52 in Isaiah, God tells them to awake, awake. It tells them to understand, listen, understand what's going on. You need to be moving back to the nation of Israel. And right after we got done with those verses 7, 8, 9, God reminds them in verse 11 that it's time for them to depart. Sometimes we get very comfortable. Sometimes we get very stagnant in our walk with the Lord that we, be, we, we become comfortable in these places that God doesn't have us, that, that God doesn't want us to be. So it's important for us to realize and see where God wants us and where God has us. And so that's why he tells them here in verse 7, 8, 9, he's talking about this great city of Jerusalem. He's talking about the city of David. He's talking about this place, Zion, that he calls it here. It's the city of God. It's the holy city. He says, how beautiful, again on verse 7, it's back on the screen, verse 7, 8, 9, says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. He said, Jesus is coming to bring this good news. He said, he's coming to proclaim peace. For a long time now, the nation of Israel, you have not had peace. You've been outside of your territory. You've been outside of your, your holy city. You've been outside of these promises that God had given. Now it's time to return. And it says God is coming to bring back peace. God is going to bring good tidings of good things, he says. God is also going to bring salvation to you. He's proclaiming this salvation upon you. And he says, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He's telling them here in these verses, let's not forget that God, even through, these, even through these different circumstances and bad things that are happening to you as a people and as a nation and as the city of Jerusalem, let's never forget that God is still on his throne. God is still reigning 
and ruling over even in the times of bad situations. Continues on in verse 8. It says, your watchmen shall lift up their voices. It says, when, when you realize this, when you understand that God is a God of salvation, He's bringing peace and He's bringing all these good things and He's sitting there and He says that I am still on my throne. He says, then your watchmen shall lift up their voices. And with their voices, they shall sing together. They're going to be in this time of praise and adoration to the Lord. He says, for they now they will see eye to eye. When we understand the things of God, and when we're right before God and our neighbor is right before God, and I was talking about in our church family, then the Bible says that we will then see eye to eye. When the Lord brings back Zion, it's talking about Jerusalem. When he brings back Jerusalem and Zion in this place that, that is functioning like it should, he says that all these things are going to happen. And verse 9 says, break forth into joy, sing together. You're, you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. And I hate it in our lives sometimes that we have to go through experiences. We have to go through trials and we have to go through tribulation. You know, when we talk to somebody that has a lot of wisdom, that really knows what's going on, even when, especially when bad things are happening, there's people that are really wise and that have a lot of understanding and they don't get all frazzled as maybe someone who is younger or going through those things in the midst of that. And you, you're around some of those people, right? You've seen some of those people that have that kind of wisdom. In order to get that kind of wisdom, you've got to go through a lot of different things. You've got to go through some of these trials and tribulations where you begin to learn. You begin to see the hand of God. You begin to trust the Lord. You begin to have faith in God as you should. And that's what he's telling them here. Listen, you have gone through so much, even though through your trials and tribulations, because of your own disobedience, God has never left us throne. God is still there. He's still comforting you. He's still loving you. He still has a plan for your life. And when God is trying to restore you of these things, make sure that you accept these things. The nation of Israel needed to go back to Jerusalem. They needed to depart. They needed to experience all the blessings of God, the things that God had for them. They were so attached to the places now that they had been captive to that even when they were free to leave, they didn't automatically go back. He even tells them in verse 12, he says, and in the end of verse 12, it says, For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be near to you. And he tells them basically in, the, in these next set of verses, excuse me, that he says, Don't take anything with you. The things that you have been in, engaged with, he says, I want you to leave it there as you make your way back to the holy city. Don't tarnish the holy city by bringing these idols. Don't, don't tarnish the holy, holy city by bringing things that you're attached to outside of God's provision. And he says, listen, not only I don't want you to, and he tells you that in verse 11, excuse me. And then in verse 12, he says, listen, I'm going to go before you just as he had promised the nation of Israel years before. And he says, I will be, and the God of Israel will be the rear guard of you. He says, not only am I going and plowing and preparing the way, but I'm also going to be the one watching your back, he tells them, as you make your way to the place of Jerusalem. And so God has given them so much. He was promising them, even in this moment uh, in the book of Isaiah, that he was leading them back. And so for us, th these people were still left with the promise that we are now on the other side of those promises today, but they were experiencing them. They hear what Isaiah is saying. They remembered all these promises, but now Isaiah was telling them, listen, that this one that is coming is going to be the Messiah. 
He is going to come and He is going to make a way not only for you to have salvation, but also the entire world to truly experience salvation. And we know that as Jesus Christ coming on the earth as a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, laying there in a manger, humbling Himself, not only to come in this lowly sense as far as to be, He wasn't born into a great kingdom family, and all the riches and all that that we would think of. But just even the fact that he would put on human flesh on our behalf is the most humbling thing that the Lord had done. Because for him to lower himself, the Bible says, in this manner and to put on earthly flesh to come on this earth was already a unique and an unbelievable uh, humbling experience for the Lord. But he did that because he had a plan to come as man. And to live a sinless life and to die on the cross for our sins. That he would be that blood sacrifice for us. He would be that perfect spotless lamb that would be laid down at the altar and would be slain for you and me. We were talking about this. Uh, one of my, of my children uh, has been going and uh, looking at this in the, uh, as far as in the Old Testament and how the Levitical priest... Uh, had come to pass and how they would take a spotless lamb and they would lay it there at the altar and we got we we started talking about it and I was kind of if you know me and you've heard me preach enough now I usually start from Genesis to Revelation in my sermon right and so I'm doing that to my child as well I'm telling her of how it even came to pass and the promises of God and all these different things and I said you know they would take as they would go to worship they would take this innocent lamb and they would and they would bring it there on the altar and lay it there and that lamb would be slain, would be killed, blood pouring out because of the sin of the people. Because of my sin and your sin, we would have to do that on behalf of our family. And especially for an animal lover that she is, like, that starts to tear you up. I mean, I hope so. I hope we at least have enough uh, decency for, uh, for uh, God's creation and, and animals that we understand that's not right. That's not good. That an innocent, spotless lamb that an animal would have to be slain because of my sin. And I had to bring that to the altar of God. And that blood that was poured out would be the, would be the forgiveness of sin. And so we, we get wrapped up and we, we, we get emotional about if that was the case this morning, that that's how we would come to worship. I think we'd be a little bit more careful to uh, our, our animals in the yard as far as how we would sin and on what kind of sins that we would be committing because that would be more things that we would have to uh, bring and prepare as far as uh, as far as uh, things that need to be slain on behalf of our of behalf of our sin. But we understand this morning, right, that when Jesus came as a baby wrapped in swallowing clothes, that he came specifically to die on the cross for our sin, for you and me. So when Jesus had died on the cross for our sin, he took all those he took all that all that beating and all that anguish that he went through. That was because of my sin and your sin. And so we understand that Jesus did nothing wrong to deserve that punishment. When Jesus came, he was just as innocent as he was as a baby wrapped in swallowing clothes. He was just that innocent again, 33 and a half years later, when he was taking our sin on the cross. He took our hell for us. He took our punishment, our shame, and his blood was shed for my sin and your sin so that we wouldn't have to experience that kind of death, that kind of uh, uh, torture and uh, all these different things. He took it for us. My sin did that to the Lord. My sin continues. The sin that I have 
done. The Lord has already paid for it. But that's things that the Lord, it, 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 that's the things that the Lord uh, was tortured for all those many years ago. And so we understand that people in Isaiah's time, the nation of Israel didn't understand and see the Messiah like we got to experience him uh, uh, 2,000 years ago as he has come and he's done this. And now today we celebrate these things. And so as we, as we close this morning, I want us to just to think and to see all the promises that God has given us. All the promises that God has given us. And I want us to turn in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter kind of talks about this a little bit in scripture. There's many, many more things that we can look at. But in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 it says, Coming to him, talking about Jesus, as the living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built as a spiritual, of a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up sacrifice, uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us here that, listen, you are a precious stone as far as the people of God in this. The people who have accepted Jesus Christ. Now you are a holy priesthood. Uh, they're giving spiritual sacrifices. Therefore, in verse six, if, if you uh, it is also um, contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion. Talking about Jerusalem, a chief cornerstone. Talking about Jesus, elect, precious. He uh, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believes, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Basically, it's telling us that Jesus is that chief chief, chief cornerstone. And the ones that have accepted him have now been put in this place that Jesus has built. If not, if you've rejected him, that is the that is the stone uh, which which has become a stumbling block. That's the stone, the rock of offense. That is the standard by which we either accept the Lord Jesus Christ or reject him. It says, continuing on in verse eight, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also we're appointed in verse nine, the key verse, but you are a chosen generation. If you have a relationship with the Lord this morning, he's saying that now you are this chosen people, this chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him, of Jesus, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, it says, once more, we not we're not a people, uh, but now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He says that now when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, now you have been brought in just as the people of Israel was this great special nation. Now today, the ones who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ are this great nation. You are that royal priesthood. You are this holy nation that he's telling us. He says now he's brought you out of darkness into this holy light. He says he's done all these things for you. He says the people who had not experienced mercy has now experienced mercy. And so for us today, as we leave and as we conclude this morning, I hope we understand and we see and we continue to study all the promises that God has given us. He's telling us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, just like he told the nation of Israel. God is protecting us even in our infant stages. 
Even in our older stages in our life, God protects us even around the Philistines. There's a lot of things that we don't understand and see many times that God protects us even from our own selves. The nation of Israel didn't even fully understand, I don't believe, when God brought them around the nation of, of the Philistines because they were not ready to engage with them. And so for us, God protects us in that way. And then when it's time for us to go into battle and to, and to face different obstacles and different giants in our life, God is there fighting those battles for us. The Bible says that the nation of Israel had that cloud by day, uh, cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. And we would love, we would say, we would like you to have that clear roadmap uh, for us to see as a nation did. We would love to have that. God telling us, I'll do you one better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm actually going to come and live inside of you when you accept me and have a relationship with me. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I'm going to teach you how to pray. And when you don't know how to pray, I'm going to give you the things that you need in order for you to pray. I'm going to put things in your remembrance that you don't even remember that you remember. He goes, I'm going to give you the spirit inside of you. I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can know each and every day. You don't have to be alone. You can know that I'll, like I said, never leave you nor forsake you. But you want to know how to go through this trial, go through this tribulation, how to rejoice in this area. God says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And it's, he's going to show you. He's going to go on my behalf for you to know what to do and what not to do. And so God says that he has all these promises for you and that he says to us that he is going to come back for us one day. He's not going to leave us. He gives us promises that if we die before he comes back, that we're going to spend, we're going to be from the absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, that the Lord has all of these great promises for us. And I pray not only for myself, but I pray for us as a church, as you as individuals, for me, for, for our, our, our church, all the people that are attached to our church, that we would live in these promises. That we would remember these things so that when we go out and we do what we're supposed to do in, the, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it goes on through this chapter, even into the next chapter, of how we, it tells us immediately in verse 11 and 12 that let's not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. We're, we're now a separated people. Make sure that we understand that we're now living in light. We're no, no longer living in darkness. It tells us to continue on in, in, in uh, chapter 2 and like I said in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. He tells us how to live among, among your uh, servants and how to uh, live and be submission to your government and how to live according to your masters and how, how to be submissive husbands and wives to each other and all these different things. It tells us and all these relational things of how we ought to live now that we have a relationship with God. And so I hope and pray that we are actually doing those things as a church. And that would be my encouragement to us this morning. So as we see how the Lord has been a good giver, I pray that we would remember these things in our lives and that we would really, 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 truly, honestly apply these truths, these promises in our daily life this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you again, Lord God, for uh, sending your son, Jesus Christ, down the cross for our sins. Lord God, what a what, what a uh, something to look at this morning, Lord God, getting ready for the birth of, of you, Lord God, of Christ, uh, that we are remembering so much of what you actually came and did for us on the cross and how you had a, you made a way for us, Lord God, as you came on this earth, as you were going to die on the cross for our sins, Lord God that you came and 
made a way for us to have a relationship with you. Just as we see the nation of Israel many years before, Lord God, and Isaiah prophesying that you were to come. For them to remember all the blessings that you had given them as a nation, as a people, and that your promises do stand. And you are faithful, Lord God. And you, you never have broken those promises. And you're not going to break those promises, Lord God. And I pray today, as like I said, for myself and for each and every person that is listening right now, Lord God. I pray that we would remember your promises and that we would live in your promises this morning. Lord God, you've been such a good giver in the past and you continue to give. And I pray that we would not only receive your blessings, but also that, Lord, that we would be a blessing. I pray we'd be a blessing to our families. We'd be a blessing to our co-workers, Lord God. I pray we'd be a blessing to each and every person that we are around. Again, Lord God, we love you and praise you. And we thank you so much. Lord God, in this moment, I pray for individuals, Lord God, to just call out to you in just this time of response. If there's something, Lord God, that that we're going through in our individual life. I pray for this congregation, the people watching, Lord God, would just, would just give it to you, Lord God, that they would trust you in whatever situation is happening in and through their life. Lord, I pray that you would meet those needs, and I pray right now, Lord God, that people would be giving those things over to you, whatever it is, Lord God, relational things, maybe it's financial things, Maybe it's direction, Lord God, that we're struggling with. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, we'd be asking you in this moment for direction and wisdom and some clarity, Lord God, through these things. Lord, I pray again that we would be a people of just not coming to you in time of distress and time of heartache. Lord God, that we would look to you just in clear direction. Where are you leading? Where are you guiding? And I want to follow. I want to follow just like they did in the Old Testament, just as you instructed us in the New Testament by your spirit that we would follow you, Lord God. And every day of our life, as we get up in the next morning, Lord God, and that in the next day that we would seek you and ask how you are wanting to be glorified in and through our life on that day. Again, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.